Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. The goal of this program is to help folks get familiar with their Bible and uh, to know what it has to say. And we found that the best way to do that is just answer your questions. So if there's something you've always wondered about the Bible, uh, something you've heard or uh, been taught and you wonder, is that really in the Bible? We'd be happy to try to find out for you. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen that uh, you can use to get in touch with us and let us uh, know what you want us to talk about. And that's what we'll discuss on Know Your Bible. We'll take your question, put it in the stack of things that we've got coming up and get to it just as quickly as we can. Uh, it's always a few weeks out before we can get to them because we get so many and we have to take some time to put closed captioning on after we uh, record. But uh, we'll get to it just as quickly as we can. And uh, if you'd like an immediate answer, something that's really pressing in your life, uh, just give our operator your name and number or put it in the uh, email and we'll get an answer to you in the mail just as quickly as we can. So that's the way we operate. We get lots of questions coming up, and I've got a partner here that helps me answer them. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm glad you're here and ready to go and all studied up. Uh, we're going to let you start right after we let our viewers start. So here's a question for them. Uh, what widow met Jesus at the temple? This is when Jesus was a baby, so this is a little harder question than we usually have on trivia, but uh, some widow met the baby Jesus at the temple. We'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program. We'll let Toby get us started. All right. The viewer asked the question, where does it say we are not to mix plants <coughs> or cloth? Well, I believe you're referring to a couple of verses in the Old Testament. We'll look at them together on the screen. <coughs> found uh, first in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 19 and this of course is the uh, the law given to Moses uh, for the Israelite <coughs> people under their covenant and it says you shall keep my statutes you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material we see the uh, the theme here being you know not to mix things up and then later on in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 1 it says you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together and so uh, of course to them that was just a binding command uh, whether or not they understood it they would have just been bound by it and the question that we have, of course, since we un live under the New Covenant today, what, what is that all about and what was its purpose? Well, in my research, the best I could find, of course, the, f the first idea is this idea of keeping the seed pure. Uh, as you mix uh, seed, as you mix, mix plants and different kinds of things together, 
uh, you uh, decrease the purity of the original seed or the original uh, plant or whatever it was that God created. And so God said, don't mix those things together. And it was probably to make sure that they didn't have uh, a lot of disease and genetic mutations come into their, uh, the things that they ate and the things that they produced. Uh, that's, uh, of course, speculation purely on my part. Uh, another uh, place that I read said it was uh, part of early pagan idol worship practices uh, to wear costumes that were very fancy and mixed all these different types of cloths together. And uh, that was the standard practice. So it could have been something that uh, to wear a, uh, something of mixed clothing with mixed material uh, <coughs> indicated that you worshipped a foreign god or a certain idol. And of course, they wouldn't want it to be associated with that. The scripture doesn't give the why. It just gives the command. Um, but it was, of course, a part of the old law. Uh, the Old Covenant, and is not something that's binding to us today, but I think we could still uh, keep the principle that we uh, ought not be associated with anything that's godless or uh, impure. Okay. Very good. If you were asked a question about the government and us obeying government, what if government passed a law that disagreed with the Bible? Are we to obey the law of the land? Uh, I don't know where this viewer is coming from, which direction the emphasis is. Uh, we've said sometimes on this program that we are to obey the law of the land, uh, whatever the law might be, as people have called in about marijuana and mm -hmm. things like that. And we've said, no, you obey the law of the land. Right. Uh, so this viewer says, well, what if there was a law that disagreed with the Bible? Do you still have to obey the law of the land? Um, I think the question should be worded not what if the government does, uh, but when they do it. Uh, I think we're a lot closer to that. In fact, I think we're already there on a few things. I don't think there's any what if to it. I think the government is definitely going to, and already has for that matter, passed some laws that disagree with the Bible. Uh, the Affordable Care Act mandated uh, that people pay for drugs and procedures uh, that they conscientiously object to. Now, I know you can make an argument that, well, that's not strictly Bible. Uh, it's a matter of conscience and all that. But I think it's still passed over the principle of, uh, of what our government ought to be doing and getting very close to violating Bible principles. Uh, I think some of the new laws about hate speech and uh, uh, all of that, uh, non-discrimination, uh, while they may have a good intent, uh, I think that uh, very soon that's going to limit what preachers can preach or the government will try to limit what preachers can preach. It's already happening in some places up in Canada. Uh, people have been arrested, <coughs> preachers have been arrested for preaching against homosexuality uh, because the Bible says it, but the laws of hate speech say you can't talk about it. Uh, so I think we're there already or very, very nearly there. Uh, but the viewer's question wasn't about that. The viewer wanted to know, what do we do then? Well, I think we have a very clear answer in the Bible. The exact same thing happened to the apostles. Uh, and in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we have the answer. Uh, the Peter and the apostles were told specifically, don't preach about Jesus. That was stirring the people up and the Sanhedrin didn't like it. So they called them in and said, don't preach about that name anymore. And when they went right out and preached about the name of Jesus, and they called them back in and said, didn't we tell you not to do that? And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
Uh, you can make all the laws you want, but if they violate God's principles, we're going to follow God's principles. Uh, that's the answer. Uh, not uh, when it happens, but uh, as it happens, uh, we'll have to stay true to the Bible, and there may be punishments along with it. Uh, Peter and the apostles, all of them were martyred, as far as we know, for uh, preaching the name of Jesus. So there may be persecution to face and all of that, but the answer is still the same. We must obey God rather than men. So hope that answers that one for you. All right, heaven question yes, here. Yes, a viewer <clears throat> wants to know specifically, will there be rewards in heaven? <clears throat> well, my answer to that is, of course, heaven is the reward. Uh, but I know that what the viewer is probably referring to, there are some uh, people who interpret parts of scriptures, and you can kind of read some things into those <laughs> scriptures that there might be, um, uh, I don't know how, how it would be exactly, bigger crowns, different levels of, uh, you know, uh, different uh, sizes of mansions, and I, I don't know how all that's going to be arranged, and the Bible really doesn't give us a lot of insight into what that's going to be like. Um, if it is, I can tell you that God has the perfect system of rewards worked out. Um, and uh, if it's, you know, it, it, as far as wondering what it's going to be like, it's a wonderful thing to think about. But the real point is making sure that we get to heaven. And uh, the reward in and of itself is not the golden streets or pearly gates or uh, of mansions and crowns and robes. Uh, all those things are wonderful, but I think they're just um, the Bible's way of describing the best place you can ever imagine, a place that you'll never want to leave, a place that, that perfectly fulfills every part of you and that will be just the most perfect dwelling that you've ever known. And we've never known anything like that in this world uh, because we live in a broken world and because we're broken people and because we have sin that messes all kinds of things up. And when, when, we, when we are finally redeemed uh, and, and brought to eternity with God, uh, we will understand what it means to have a perfect relationship and dwelling with our Creator. And I think that's the point of heaven. Uh, if there are other rewards, that's wonderful. Uh, and God's that, got that perfectly worked out. But we don't need to worry too much about it. We just need to make sure that that's our home in eternity. Let's read from a verse in Revelation chapter, one, uh, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4 together. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, heaven is the first time since the garden, which we will truly be able to say that we... Uh, are able to walk with God again, and that's the beauty of it and the joy of it, and that's why we want to go there. So, good question. Answer really is, I don't know, and the Bible doesn't give us specifics. All right. So let me talk about a way to study the Bible that we advocate here on Know Your Bible. Uh, we try to answer as many questions as we can each week, but uh, that would take us a few centuries to get generally the Bible covered, and we'd still be missing something, I'm sure. Uh, so we've got some free materials that we're happy to send out to you. Uh, let you study the Bible at your own pace, in your own home, with your own Bible. And uh, you can study it fast or as slow as you want, and you'll learn a lot more about the Bible than uh, just the 30 minutes of uh, questions that we get in each week. So uh, it's pictured on the screen right now. There are eight lessons in this introductory set 
Uh, and it's where we like to start people because it gives you a basic foundation of understanding the Bible. It introduces you to the Old Testament, uh, all about it, when it was written, who wrote it, what the major topics are, and then the New Testament, uh, what you're going to find in there, and then it tells you the difference between them. So once you've got that foundation laid, uh, you're going to understand your Bible a whole lot better uh, than you perhaps do now. And I know a lot of people just sit down and read straight through the Bible and uh, that kind of method and that works fine for them, that's good. Uh, but a lot of people get stuck and find that they don't learn much that way or they give up. Uh, this is a good systematic way. It's got some reinforcement in it. You send the lessons back to us. Uh, we'll mail them back to you after we score them. So it's an accountability thing there. Good way to study the Bible over the years. Lots and lots of folks have told us how much they enjoy it and how much they've learned. We'd like you to be part of that group. So phone number, website are on the screen. Either one of those, just let us know you'd like this course and we'll get it started for you. Going to learn a lot about the Bible. All right, viewers called in to correct us here and said you don't take communion, <coughs> you receive communion. Well, I may have said, or Toby may have said, take communion. I don't remember saying it, but I don't think I usually use that term. But, or maybe somebody asked a question, how often do you have to take communion or something like that? I didn't go back and check. But anyhow, if we said it, we said it. <laughs> uh, and this viewer points out that doesn't like that terminology. You don't take communion, you receive communion. Well, I thought about that a little bit, and I agree that uh, maybe receive sounds better. Uh, I don't think receive is quite the right word either. Uh, I think we can do better than that myself. Uh, if you say you take communion, the focus is all on you. Uh, you are taking communion. You're doing something that's wonderful or beneficial or a good religious act maybe. So I can see where that sounds a little <coughs> bad to our viewer. But if you say you receive communion, then that puts the focus all on uh, either the administrator, the one who's giving you the articles, or it puts the focus on the articles, like they're um, uh, some special sacredness in them. And I realize they are sacred in a sense. But communion is not about that. It's a communing between you and God. It's a observing a memorial for a purpose. Uh, a little deeper than either taking or receiving, I think. So what I did is went to the chapter that explains the Lord's Supper, the communion to us in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And here's what Paul says the purpose of the Lord's Supper. So let's look at that. Uh, <clears throat> now remember the reason he's doing this is because the people in Corinth had it all messed up. They were taking the emblems, the bread and the wine, they had it all messed up for the wrong purpose. And he said, I've got no, nothing good to say to you about the way you're doing it. Here's the way it ought to be done. And he said, the purpose of the Lord's Supper in verse 24 is you remember Jesus. It's a thought process. You're thinking about Jesus and what He did for you. And you're proclaiming the Lord's death. You're telling people that here's how Jesus died and I believe that He died for me. And then the third thing, which is different, is in verse 28, he says you need to examine yourself. You need to think about how you're doing uh, and your salvation and whether you're walking worthy of the Lord and that kind of thing. 
So all of those things are more the observing of a memorial and the thought process that we have when we do it. It's not a matter of taking or receiving the articles. It's a matter of what we're thinking about as we do it. And those symbols, uh, the bread and the, the wine, help us think about Jesus and proclaim His death and examine ourselves. Uh, so it's not about them. It's not about the religious act in many ways. It's about what we're thinking and our relationship to God at that time. So I take our viewer's point is well taken, but I think take and receive both can be done, uh, said a little bit better. So I'm going to say we're going to observe a memorial, mm -hmm. uh, participate with Jesus in it. Uh, maybe that gives us the picture a little bit better, I hope. Perhaps so, the word partake or something, I don't know. Well, yeah, it no. could be more on the take side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a personal matter there between you and God. And, what we call it isn't that big a deal, but I understand what our viewers are saying, and uh, I prefer neither take or receive. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, Toby. Yes, uh, this viewer asked a question about Noah and the ark, and specifically the animals. Uh, they say, I don't understand the number of animals taken on the ark. <clears throat> well, uh, a viewer is probably a pretty astute viewer and has read th through the scriptures, and of course, children are taught, you know, two by two, they all went up on the ark. That wasn't exactly how it happened. Uh, when you look at Genesis 6, 19, God says, take one pair, male and female, uh, of every kind of animal. So that would have been clean and unclean. There were kind of a distinction between uh, the two different types of animals. And then he says, <clears throat> and that's of every kind of bird and animal. Uh, and then in chapter 7, verse 2, he says, take six extra pairs uh, male and female, of every kind of clean animal. And so probably this is where the confusion has come in. Why would you bring all the animals and then the extra pairs of, of the clean animals? And the answer to that is because after they came off the ark, the first thing that Noah did was to make a sacrifice to the Lord and only clean animals were used to make the sacrifice. So that's the purpose of the extra animals. Of course, the uh, the all the pairs were, were, were to... to continue to propagate the species after after they went through the flood uh, so that every species could remain and continue um, but the extra pairs were just specifically for that part of the the worship that Noah offered to God by sacrificing animals um, Genesis chapter 8 verses 20 and 22 is the verses we'll read on the screen then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all of the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And so this tells us why Noah took the extra pairs of clean animals for the, for the worship and for the sacrifice. All righty. Uh, viewer wants to me to explain the difference between the soul and the spirit. I don't think I can do that. Uh, I believe there is a difference, and it, it, I think some people would say there isn't a difference. The soul and the spirit are the same thing. There's got to be a difference uh, uh, to some degree because the Bible talks about them being different. Let's look at that verse on the screen. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, 
So it says the Word of God is so sharp that it can cut between, can find the difference between the soul and the spirit. Uh, it's kind of like us saying uh, this razor is so sharp it can split a hair. Well, that means there's very little difference. It's pretty sharp. Well, soul and spirit are real close to each other. I think that's what that's saying. But the Word of God can separate them somehow. Now, I can't explain it real well. The best I think it means uh, spirit usually is used to reply to the spiritual part of man, uh, to refer to the spiritual part of man. And when it says soul, it usually it's got the body included. Now, we're a two-part system. We've got our spirit, which is eternal, and we've got our body, which is not eternal. It's mortal. Uh, <clears throat> and usually the way the Bible uses the terms is there's the spirit, which is eternal, and then with the body with it, that's a living soul. And but the trouble is it doesn't always do that. There's occasions where it doesn't. But I think that's the main difference. Genesis 2-7 is probably our best tip on this, They're talking about creation of man. And the Bible says, Genesis 2-7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So he's got the body there. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit. And the man became a living being, or some translations say a living soul. So, you take the body, or take the body, put the spirit in it. You've got a living soul. At death, the spirit comes out of the body, and you've got a living spirit waiting to be reunited with the body sometime. So I think that's the best explanation I can do. Let's think of the spirit as being the spiritual part of man. When we've got our body with it, it's a living soul. Um, and like I say, I wouldn't uh, say that you couldn't find some other way to explain that. From the New Testament, but they're pretty close together. <laughs> Soul and spirit. Yeah. All righty. Uh, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, and we've got a number of them around the the country that help us uh, pay the bills and stay on here. And that's why we never ask for money, because we've got a lot of supporters out there in Churches of Christ that uh, keep the bills paid for us, and we always like to recognize a few of them. And these are all from uh, central Kansas, south central Kansas. If you live near Douglas or Emporia or Eureka, all of those have a fine congregation of the Church of Christ and uh, would welcome you to visit any Sunday, any time if uh, you live in that community. You might know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Uh, tell them that you were watching Know Your Bible and that you enjoyed the program and uh, that you noticed this week that they helped provide it for you. So you're appreciative of that. Uh, let them know that they're, they're doing some good in your community. And if you're searching for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed in any of those churches of Christ or any church of Christ near you. So drop in sometime and tell them you learned about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what do you got for us? A viewer wants to know what I think Jesus looked like. Well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus looked like. <coughs> it's funny that how we picture Jesus often uh, depends on the culture that we live in, and we just kind of take things from, that are common to our experience. Of course, we see pictures of Jesus in, in famous paintings and artwork, murals and so forth that uh, also push into what our image of Jesus is. Uh, and of course, I think that they're probably all very different from actually how Jesus looked. Um, if you're asking how 
I would picture Jesus. I'm going to use some deductive reasoning. Uh, we, have no, of course, know that Jesus was male and he was Jewish. So he, and of course, he lived in, in the area that now we know as the, the Middle East and Israel. Um, we would assume he was probably shorter in stature. Uh, he was, uh, as a, a Jewish male, probably would have been bearded, probably had a darker uh, complexion. Uh, than, than uh, Europeans do. Uh, he, we know that his uh, father was a carpenter. He would have been in, trained in that. That would have been li very likely his trade. So he was probably in very good physical condition and probably uh, uh, in good shape and did a lot of walking. Um, we know that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 53 <coughs> that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in him that said, oh man, he looks extra special. He was extra tall or extra handsome. Uh, it just had a look about him that, that said a leader. No, he was very common. You probably wouldn't have picked him out in a crowd other than if there were a whole crowd of people following him. Regardless of what he looked like, what matters is who he was and what he did for us. And that's the most important thing. <coughs> Let's look at what uh, was said about Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 35 and 36. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which I think is the, uh, the most beautiful picture of who Jesus was and what he came to do. So, hope that helps you. We just don't know what he looked like. I, don't I believe I've read a number of times that the average male height back then was around 5'2 or yeah, yeah. 5 feet, something like that. Yeah. So, he definitely would have been shorter than what we expect a man <laughs> to be. Especially a great leader like Jesus, and I should cla that. clarify that I wasn't saying Jesus looked like a lamb. No, I think, of course, that picture of Johnny was just saying he was going to be a sacrifice, yep. going to be the 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 offering of God. So don't send me in your questions yeah. about. Yeah. I think the key is Isaiah. There. There's nothing special yep. about him. He yep. just was another no man, majesty, yep. another man that. Nothing a lot, lot different than we think of it. I, I, we're pretty sure he doesn't look like any of the pictures. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely for sure. <laughs> <coughs> All right, let's, let's see if we can squeeze this last question in here. A uh, viewer says, I've been taught that we stay in our graves until Jesus comes and that the dead feel or hear nothing. Is this everyone or is it different for those who go to heaven? <coughs> well, <coughs> excuse me, I think it's the same for everybody, but I don't think what you've been taught <coughs> is exactly right. Uh, I believe at death, the spirit leaves the body and it goes to a place called the place of the dead. And we won't go into all the detail on that now, but remember in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when they died, uh, their spirits went to the place of the dead. And within the place of the dead, there were two parts. There was paradise and there was torment. Uh, the bodies went to the grave. So uh, I don't think it's quite right to say that our spirits stay in the grave because a lot of people don't even have a grave. Uh, bodies are lost at sea or burned in a fire or whatever and there's nothing left of the body. Uh, so the spirit's not there. I believe it's in the place of the dead and whether it's conscious or not, the Bible's not real clear. I personally believe it's conscious because the rich man and Lazarus both knew what were going on and uh, asked questions and talked about going back to earth and all of that. So I don't think what you've been told is exactly right about death, but uh, but there's no difference between evil and dead. I mean, evil and good. 
the bodies are in the grave, the spirits are in the place of the dead, the good part and the bad part. So all that same, when Jesus comes back, everybody's going to be reunited and then sentenced to the heaven or hell. All right, I believe we're out of time for uh, any more questions, but let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. What widow met Jesus at the temple? And she was an old lady and her name was Anna. And she had been looking for Jesus and she recognized him when his parents brought him to the temple. And that's that answer. We're glad you've been with us today. Come back next week. We'll answer some more. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.